And so, Father, as we bow our heads and we close our eyes, we think about those words that through it all, we trust in you. And God, we're reminded this weekend with different events in the news that our nation, our generation, we need you. We live in a country today, God, that will attack organizations for holding to a moral standard, but yet will publicize immorality on the cover of magazines and celebrate it. Forgive us, Lord, we need you. Be with our land, be with our nation, be with our government. Be with our churches and our families. May the churches and the families, may we be the ones leading the way as an example of clinging to you. We pray for your forgiveness, Lord. We pray that you would help us to through it all trust in you and to shine ever brighter because we cling to you, God. And so, Lord, as this morning we continue to talk about what it looks like for us as a church to become great or successful. We pray that you would help us to have a proper definition of success and great. That you would speak to each one of our hearts and teach us the way of the church. Teach us the way that you showed your apostles. And may we continue in that heritage. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. I'm Pastor Jamie Kendrew. We're glad you're here with us this morning. It's a little warm in here, so I'll, I'll scream just randomly in my sermons so that we can get everybody jolted and awake. Some of you aren't laughing, you're still already sleeping, so that's okay. It's a warm one, but it's a good one, because we're here with God. And, you know, we have come from a tradition of church that is just incredible. We come from a tradition that church just didn't show up like this. And if you remember last week, I want to recap a little bit, we, we talked about Pentecost, and we talked about that moment when, when Jesus promised us a helper that would be here with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you remember, Pentecost means 50 days later. It's basically 50 days after the Passover or Easter, because Jesus forever changed the meaning of these holidays. And so we've got 50 days later where we are now celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? Well, it's important to remember, as we learned last week, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is He. He is an equal person of the Trinity. He is fully God. He is eternal, omniscient, omnipresent. He has a will and can speak. The Holy Spirit, He is alive. And a lot of times in our churches today, we're afraid to acknowledge that because some have taken it to one extreme or the other. But make no mistake, Christ Church, the Holy Spirit is alive, He is with you, and He is around us. I love the Holy Spirit's imagery, because there is an imagery for the Holy Spirit, right? Do you know why that is? Because you see, the Holy Spirit's job is to bear witness to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to equip and enable us to point the finger at Christ. And that's the Holy Spirit. And it's important for us to remember this as we go through our new series called A Young Church in Action. Because you see, out of that day of Pentecost was born something amazing, the church. 
on that day, we see some miraculous things take place. And, and, and so Peter delivers this sermon and thousands of people come to know Christ. And I want to encourage you, that is greatness. Greatness is delivering the message of Christ, not on your own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's important for us also to remember as we read this passage, that church in this moment does not exist with tables, candles, choirs, and pews. They have no idea what they're doing. You can laugh about that. It's kind of funny. Because you see, you've got all these new followers of what they call the way, and they're trying to figure out church. If you've read Acts 1 and 2, where is the Christian church meeting at this time? You can say it out loud. In in the synagogues, in the temples. They're still practicing Judaism. And so what's happening is, is you've got this big circle of Judaism as the represented religion, and then you've got this little ichthus fish, that's the name of the fish, in the middle of it called Christianity. And so from the very beginning of the books of Acts, the book of Acts, you've got these Christians who are trying to figure out what it is they're doing with the church, and throughout the book of Acts up into Romans, we see the Christian church move from the center of Judaism to becoming its own identity as Christianity. And so it's important to remember this because we can take for granted that, hey, maybe they had a facility to go to or a fire hall. No. You're talking about Christians practicing their religion in a place where they're hated and rejected in the temple. So as we talk about that, it's important to remember the church's movement. The church is growing. It is a young church. There's an interesting document referred to as the Didache. It, was a, it literally means the way of the apostles. And so the apostles took a crack at trying to invent church. What does this look like for us? And they, they talked about five key areas. They talked about how they worshiped. They talked about how they were discipled. And they talked about how they, you know, we talked about the five purposes. It's worship, discipleship, fellowship, ministry, and outreach. And they break down um, outreach kind of in outreach and missions. And so you've got this church that's struggling to figure out how it is, and they wrote this document called the Didache, and it focused on several things. It focused on community, sacraments, and a word called catechesis, which basically means Christian education. Do you know what you believe? Because you see, as a church, we are not called to be in this by ourselves, When we joined up with Christ, we joined as a part of a body, and we are called to be in community. This early church gets this because they're they're living it. They're living out their faith. They're discovering this faith. It's this young church growing, and they begin to understand that we are not created to be isolationists. We are created to be in community. Yesterday, I took a group of about 20 or so of our young adults uh, to the Laurel Highlands, and while we were there, we decided we were going to do some whitewater rafting. And, and, and there was about 60 people on the trip, total. And I remember telling our crew, it's very important to, to make sure that you pick who's in your boat. Because you see, whoever's in your boat, they have a special role to play. If you get too strong of people on one side of the boat, you're just going to go in circles all day in the raft. And, and if you get too weak of people on the other side, you're going to go in circles all day long. And, and if you have too heavy of a people on one side, and there's all these different dynamics, but what it came down to is, is whoever's in your boat is going to make a humongous difference on the journey that you're about to have. 
And I want to encourage us, encourage us as Christians, the people in the boat of your life will influence and affect the journey that you are on. Who is your community? As we were going down, I remember I tried to tell my boat, hey, I want you guys to pay attention to me. I'm going to coach you. Uh, I've done this a while. You know, I'm going to give you some tips. And when we hit the first rapid, nobody wanted to listen to anything that, that anybody else was even saying. Everybody wanted to do their own thing. And so it was a little social experiment. I decided to let them. <laughs> and we came to what's called Cucumber Rapid. And everybody was paddling in their own direction. Everybody was doing their own thing. And wouldn't you know it, we slam into a rock. This person on my left-hand side is paddling for all they can. The person on my right-hand side has their paddle up in the air. They're enjoying the ride. The person in the middle is sitting on the floor terrified for their life. And the person over here is just kind of looking around aimlessly. And I said, hey, Tim, you might want to hold on. And he looked at me and go, why? And as soon as I said that, we hit a rock and he went flying out of the boat. In that moment of chaos, we began to work together. And we were able to rescue Tim out of the rapids after about a few boulders and bumps later. <laughs> but you see, from that moment on, that boat realized we need each other. Some of us have strengths, some of us have weaknesses, but when we work together, we can be a community that can really hammer this river. And I'm going to tell you, from that moment on, my boat became a machine. If I said paddle left, they had it down. If I said paddle right, they had it down. If I said jump, they would say how high. And it was incredible because we were working as a unit. In fact, what ends up happening, because everybody began to get on the same page and we understood who was strong in one area and weak in another, we, we could work together. And, and one by one, as we would hit these rapids, other boats would flip over. And guess who was there to rescue them? My boat, my crew, they were working together. They were sharpening one another. It was beautiful. You know, sometimes as a church, we, we get our, our, our lives out of whack, so to speak. And everybody wants to do their own thing. And when we do that, we're in no position whatsoever to rescue people. But when we come together as a community that we're going to read about in a moment God will do amazing things through us. The journey will be an adventure, and I'm going to tell you, we will be pulling people in the boat left and right to God's glory, and only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open to Acts 10 with me right now, or not Acts 10, excuse me, we skipped a few chapters. Acts 2, and we're going to finish talking about Peter's sermon that he's giving. The day of Pentecost has happened, People are coming to know the Lord. Peter has basically told them the story of Jesus and said, you have crucified him. Well, what do we do? Well, you repent. And so we're going to begin in verse 36. Acts 2, 36 says this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter, and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, because every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, or excuse me, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Jesus isn't just for us. 
Jesus is for our families. He is for everybody. We are to take that message to everybody, to our families, to our children. Verse 40 says this. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message were baptized and about 3,000 of them were added to the number that day. We know what it's like to live in a corrupt generation, don't we? It's a hard place to be. We've got to keep our eyes on Christ. Because you see, greatness is people coming to know Christ. And in this moment, greatness had nothing to do with the disciples, but had everything to do with what God was doing through them. So how do we as a church get to greatness? How do we get to leading people to Christ? Well, we've got to spend time with Christ. And we've got to begin to act as a church. Because you see, as these 3,000 people accept Christ, in verse 40, the church is born. You now have a body of believers that is following Christ. They, They were there before, but now they're growing in numbers. And it will continue to say that daily, more and more people came to know Christ. And so the church is coming alive. The church is becoming this entity. And it tells us here a very specific layout of the fundamentals of what church is supposed to be. My prayer is, as we read this church, we can say these things, but I will ask us, do, do, can we say these things? And so we find ourselves in verse 42. And in verse 42, those 3,000 people were just not converted, they were followed up on, they were educated. And so as we look at these purposes of the church, we're going to stop and we're going to pick out a couple of these and, and talk about them in detail. But it says this, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they devoted themselves to discipleship, to teaching. Let me ask you a question, church. Are you devoted to teaching, to being discipled? Are you devoted to living out the things that you're being taught. You know, when the early church started right after this, it's called the patristic era of the church. It took two years for you to even be considered to be baptized. They took the growth of of the early church so serious that when you said, I want to be baptized, I want to confess Christ as my Lord and Savior, you were entered into a two-year program where you met one-on-one with a priest or a pastor. And then so what they did is they would walk you through this process and you learned about the creed, or not the creeds, excuse me, you learned about the Lord's Prayer. You learned about the words of God through the oral tradition. And so for two years, they looked at your lifestyle They looked at the things you did. They checked your Facebook. They studied up on you. Not because they wanted to stand you in front of the congregation and say, sinner. But because they loved you. Because when you take the name Christian, do you realize what you're calling yourself? When you take the name Christian, you're joining yourself to the greatest thing that could ever exist. The testimony of Jesus Christ. And so in the early church, they took discipleship very seriously. After two years of being educated and learning the Old Testament and learning the things that Jesus taught and learning from the apostles, you would be considered worthy to enter the room to see people take communion. 
And after you were vetted, you were permitted to be baptized. And after you were baptized, you were then allowed to take communion. This is how the church started. Do you think they took discipleship seriously? They did. Do you take learning the word of God seriously in your heart? Are my sermons or any of the other pastors' sermons on Sunday morning the only spiritual growth or spiritual edification you have from the word during the week? Because if that is so, I am so sorry. It is not sufficient. You need to be daily in the word of God, studying what he has to say. It'll answer your questions. If you have concerns, listen to me. The best thing that you can do if you don't understand something is ask a question. If something in the Bible doesn't sound right, ask a question. Because it can withstand our questions. It can withstand any thoughts that we have. It is a good book. And you need to take discipleship, the learning, the furthering of your faith, serious. Because you see, we're called to fellowship as well. And if we're going to be in community with one another, we've got to know what we believe. And, and instead of just being focused on ourselves all the time, when we are discipled, we understand that our life is not about us. But it's about loving God and loving other people. And so the next thing we read in this passage is that they were together for teaching and they were together for fellowship. You've heard me preach it before, church. You need to be hanging out with one another because God loves when his children play together. Amen? Parents, do you get angry at your kids when they're having fun? How how dare they laugh and have a good time? That's ridiculous. God wants us as believers to come together to have fun, to enjoy being with one another, to meet regularly, to meet often, not in some program setting, but going out to dinner. One of my favorite memories from Israel, we went on a Holy Land trip, was we're sitting in a courtyard, and Rosie Weish begins to sing a Bob Dylan song. Ed Glover's doing this ridiculous magic trick with his fingers and numbers that was probably the most childish thing I ever saw in my life, but we were all howling, laughing. And I have to say, from the deepest parts of my heart, I felt like we were worshiping together because we were enjoying the presence of other believers in complete silliness. God wants us to delight in his company with his children. Are we in fellowship with one another? I say it, and I'm going to say it again. You're going to spend forever with these people. You better start liking them now. We're called to community in the sense that we're called to a koinonia, a deep theological type of community, where we celebrate the sacraments together, where we celebrate baptism. And did you know when we invite new members into the church and when we dedicate babies, we as a congregation take charges to help them raising their children? That we're called to love one another that way? That we're called to be good neighbors to our neighbors? We are called to community. I had someone walk up to me one time and say, Pastor Jamie, you're talking about communism. No, I'm not. Because you see, communism is a a denier of, of one's gifts and talents. Communism denies somebody the right to have private stuff. And listen to me, 1 Peter 4.10 says that God blesses your socks off so that you can bless the socks off of others. It is not wrong to have wealth. It is not wrong to be blessed. It's wrong when you sit around and hoard it. 
when you could be using it to bless God's people. The Bible doesn't tell us that we should just simply sell everything and have nothing. It says that the church sold their possessions when others had need. And if they didn't have those things, there wouldn't be things to sell off in those times of needs. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? God didn't say everybody's got equal playing field. God said, I'm going to bless you this way, and I'm going to bless you this way. You're all my children, but each of you has a part to play. Communism doesn't say that, does it? Our culture's starting to not say that, does it? It's scary. God has blessed you and equipped each one of you for the purpose of his ministry, not for a greater good that doesn't belong to him. See, communism focuses on earthly things. Individualism focuses on ourselves. But true koinonia, true community, focuses on God. We're called to be centered around God, to love his people, to be there for one another, to use the gifts and talents and the things that he's given us as one body. When we were in Qumran, we spent some time in a kibbutz for for an afternoon, and it was neat to see how these, these Jewish people had come together, and each one had their own individual stuff, but they had community stuff, and they lived together, they took care of one another, they worshiped together, and it was beautiful. Church, we need one another. We need to be in fellowship. We need to be in community. Because we're called to worship also. We're called to worship by ourselves, but we're called to worship in community. It says here that they got together for the breaking of bread. And I want to mention that in the, in the original language, that's talking specifically about the sacrament of communion. And so as a body of believers, as the early church did, they took worship time very seriously. And I'm going to say some things in these next two points, and I want you to know I am looking in a mirror, looking at myself, because they're going to be tough to say but I'm not innocent either. We live in a society where we teach that touchdowns are more important than salvation. We live in a society where we skip church for anything. The early church took worship very seriously, and so the question I have for you, congregation, and I'm preaching to the choir, is what do you miss for church? Is the moments of worship in your life significant enough that you miss other things for it? Because it should be. Am I, Pastor Jamie, teaching my son that a hockey game is more important than raising his hands in worship? I've got to ask myself that question. I've got to ask myself the question, is my worship only here or is my worship in the home? Because worship is prayer, too, as it says in the passage. And I have a question for us, church. Does God only care about our traveling mercies and mealtimes? If those are your most intimate times with the Lord, I'm sorry. Because they shouldn't be. God wants you to be in prayer with him. We should be leading our homes and our families in prayer times. We should be worshiping every night before we go to bed. In the original church, in that Didache book I told you about earlier, it says that they actually prayed specifically three times in the day when they got up in the morning, at lunch, and then when they went to bed at night. There were specific times of prayer where they did the Lord's Prayer and they would be committed to a deep time of prayer. In our Book of Common Prayer from the Anglican Liturgy, that's where they get that from. Morning prayers, noon prayers, and evening prayers. Do we take our worship that serious that we can worship God when we're cutting the grass? 
Church is important. Being together is important because we have a mission. It says in the Bible here in Acts 2, 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Remember, they're meeting in the temple. It's neat how those things pop out now, huh? They're meeting in the temple courts. They broke bread and they went to their homes together with glad and sincere hearts. They were holding church in their houses. And eventually when the the, the Jewish folks would throw them out, that's where the church would be. It would be in the homes. Do you hold church in your home? Is God worshiped in your home? They broke bread in their homes together and with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved because the early church understood they were on a mission. And what is that mission? That mission is to do exactly what Peter did here a couple minutes ago. Tell the story of Jesus. Are you doing missions by the way you live your life? Are you living a great commission life? Are you talking about Christ? Because listen to me, you don't have to have a theology degree. You don't have to know everything about the Bible. You've got to be willing to let the Holy Spirit use you because you do not save anybody. God will do it through you. The Holy Spirit will do it through you. We saw it happen last week, and I promise you, if you open your mouth and you just trust the Lord, you're going to have this moment where you're going to say things, and after it's all said and done, you're going to go, I have no idea what I just said, (laughs) but God's good. And some of you have had those moments. But God will use us. He doesn't ask us to do it. He asks us to be willing Are you on mission, church? You know, Isaiah 6, 8, God asks the question, whom will I send? And I love the response because he says, send me, Lord. Are you discipled up? Are you in fellowship with other believers? Are you worshiping God? Are you participating in the sacraments? Are you obedient to baptism? Are you worshiping regularly? Not just here? And are you on mission? Because God wants to use this church. And I don't want people... I've got I to be careful how I say that. We want people in the boat who are willing to work on the team. Because as I said earlier, we're all going to get there. It's just who we have in the boat affects the journey. And my prayer is, is that we have people like the early church who have a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness who want to see people who don't know Jesus come to know Christ. Is that our church? Is that us? Is that you? Is that me? I pray that it is. Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you for the way that you bless us. And again, Lord, I pray that you would deal with my heart ever so severely through this because, God, it, it, living in this world is, is, is difficult and it's hard and we need you now more than ever. So for each one of us, God, encourage us to be in Bible studies. Encourage us throughout the week to be studying your scriptures and singing your songs and to talking and discussing your words with one another. Provide us with small groups or just 
godly people that we can interact with, Lord. Help us to be in fellowship with one another, true fellowship that centers on you, not the things of man. Help us, God, to worship you daily. May the sun rise with the singing of our voices and may it go down with our evening prayers because we have a mission, God, and that mission is to spread the good news of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.